everybody. We're here. I'm Bob. Let's bring on Mr. Zip Zipfell. There's Zippy. Your voice was cracking there, my friend. Uh, yeah. Hi, it's Bob Rivers. I, I had a sore throat, and I, um, I I didn't really accept that I had a sore throat. So even yesterday, and Ed will appreciate this. Welcome, Ed Kelly. I'm Bob. I'm in the I'm in Nevada. Zip is in Boston. Ed Kelly is in Detroit. And in moments, we'll be joined by uh, Dr. John Medina in Seattle, Washington. So uh, it's truly amazing what you can do globally with this TV studio and a browser technology. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you're having some technical issues. Don't worry about hey. it. Um, and so, yes, Zip, so I have a sore throat. And uh, it screwed up a test I was getting with my doctor, by the way, which we we're hoping it was just the sore throat. And then yesterday, Bob Goodell, our dear friend, sent me some commercials to do for the Woo Sox, the Worcester Red Sox. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to sit in there and relive the glory days and be the announcer. And I went, the Woo Sox, the Worcester. And I just, it took me, I know you know how to do this. And for those of you who have never watched a broadcaster make a commercial, one sentence at a time and then edit them together. And so now I sound like, you know, the guy in the FedEx commercial, you could do that. That's super, you can't do it while you're chewing food. Good timing. Spit <laughs> out the gum, Ed, or share it with right. the class. One of the okay. two. Lizzie, Lizzie brought me crackers. It was a big mistake. No, no worries. <laughs> all right. So uh, without much further ado, let's get to our guest. I talk about him all the time uh, because he's a dear friend. He's one of us. Actually, he's probably subjectively the smartest person i know wow and um and maybe one of the kindness uh, kindest people i know but let me read you some of the official stuff about uh, dr john medina he's a div and by the way i don't even understand what half these words mean yeah he's a developmental molecular biologist you know when i was a kid no one said you know what you should do <laughs> Dr. John Medina. You should become a developmental molecular biologist. Uh, I'm a, I know my dad was worried I'd become a ditch digger, but anyway, he's, <laughs> he's focused on the genes involved in human brain development and the genetics of psychiatric disorders, which means wow. human behavior science. A lot of human behavior stuff is uh, pop science. It's what, you know, whatever uh, appeals on a talk show in the limited amount of t uh, time uh, that you have to begin talking about stuff. John digs in deep, and he's written a number of books. I'll skip right to those. Uh, the first book I read was called Brain Rules. It's part of a series of books, Brain Rules for Work, Brain Rules for Aging Well, and Brain Rules for Baby. And uh, I heartily recommend all of these to anyone who wants to understand a little bit about how this machine you got up here works and how you can interact with it in ways to improve your lives. Uh, he's also got other books too. Some of those I haven't read. The Genetic Inferno, wow. Depression, What You Need to Know About Alzheimer's, The Outer Limits of Life, Uncorking the Mystery of AIDS, and of Serotonin, Dopamine, and Antipsychotic Medications. I Is there a lollipop recipe by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> Let's welcome heartily Dr. John Medina. Dr. Medina, welcome yes. to the show. How are you? It's a, it's a pleasure to, to be with you again, Bob, and it's like an old home week. I'm doing just fine, thanks. Okay, good, good, good. Did I, uh, are those, are all those books available, including the ones that I haven't read yet? Uh, yeah, they are. You get them on Amazon. The uh, uh, 
I'm not sure what what versions you have. The uh, the latest version of Brain Rules is certainly up there, and then Brain Rules for Baby, which is the other one for parenting. I also wrote a book about the teenage brain with a different publisher. We call it the Attack of the Teenage Brain. But believe it or not, it has something to do with There's a fifties horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> Creature from the black uterus. I thought it was Yes, yes. Well, John, thank you for coming on our little show. As you know, um, as we've talked about, um, you know, there's a there's this commonality we all have in how we interact and how we work and play together and have families. And sometimes it's we refer to tribalism when we're trying to explain some behaviors uh, we can't understand. So I'll just tell you uh, that when I first met you, you came onto our radio show and sat down and we had this connection uh, talking about your book, Brain Rules. And I still remember specific things uh, from that discussion um, you know, such as the fact that there's uh, no such thing as um, multitasking. Yeah. See, I was just trying to think of what the word was, and I was over here. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bob, we've gotten a little older since we talked last time. Yes, <laughs> yes, we have. So now he's on fire in the same way. Well, that's, that's the brain rules for aging well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice to be here on KCOK. Thank you very much. The, the previous book was for your car at 20,000 miles. This is for your car at 180,000 miles. <laughs> Great it's got a little chitty chitty bang bang, but you can still have fun with it. <laughs> yeah. um, but but let's start with and I know both Zip and Ed have uh, heard me talk secondhand about you, but uh, let's just start with the fundamentals of having a human brain. What have what have we got inside our heads that we are not fully aware of, and and how could we be more attuned? Uh, to how to get the most out of it. Okay. Well, the glib answer is we have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. Well, yeah. well that's, a, that's an easy question. Uh, um, perhaps we could start with things that we do know that aren't true, if that makes sense. There's a lot of mythologies okay. there about how the brain works. For example, you may have heard that you only use 10% of your brain. I'm not even sure where that came from. But in a resting state, that's no, absolute nonsense. In a resting state, it's at least 40%. You may have heard that there is a right brain personality and a left brain personality. Yeah, you can take and throw that out. You need both hemispheres to make a freaking personality. I mean, there's so many of these kinds of things that are out there that actually the reason why I wrote the Brain Rules series was be actually because of this. To be uh, debunk? Uh, or better to say, I'll take the positive part of it. Okay. Better to say what we do know as opposed to what we don't know or what, what we think is a myth. What we've guessed. And I get that right from my wife. Here's what happened. I'm on this airplane, and it's a it's a it's a it's a, a red eye from Atlanta to Seattle. In those days, there weren't a lot of people on the airplane. I picked up this magazine and read, "Modern Brain Science Can Tell You If You're Going to Vote the Democratic Ticket or the Republican Ticket." And that, of course, is absolute nonsense. We have no idea how you're going to vote based on brain scans. And I said, "I'm modern brain scientist. This is nonsense." And I literally threw the magazine across the aisle. Well, this is nuts. Because I know a lot of a lot of these people work their butts off to get these tiny little pieces of information and to get the mythologies out there to, and have that take the airtime. So I got home. And I was still kind of pissed. And I talked to my wife about it. And, and she looked at me and she said, well, Mr. Ivory Hightower, you can sit there and throw stones from your mighty perch and tell us what we don't. Or you could maybe write a book 
about what we do know, that the antidote for mythology isn't anger. The antidote for mythology is truth, or truth and small t here. How is it that, what, what is it that we do know about the brain that uh, could be relevant, or maybe to answer, Bob, your question, maybe to optimize it? So that became, there were, the first book, Brain Rules, was just simply 12 things we knew. 12 things. Hmm. A good example is you cannot multitask. A lot of people think you can multitask, but if you define multitasking as being able to do two things in parallel at the same time and have opposing independent conclusions processing as a direct result at the attentional spotlight, which is what we call the brain's attentional state, that's a myth. You can't multitask. If you could multitask, you could literally open up a book and read the left page with your left eye and the right page with your right eye oh, simultaneously. <laughs> and when you were all done, be able to read and get everything. But you can't. You have to start it. If you're in the if you're in the West, it's going to be on the upper left-hand corner, and then you zip down in the linear, boring fashion. Then go to the next page, and you do the same thing again. So we, we can scan. Play. We can scan, and we confuse that with multitasking. Well, it's more like we can task switch, and we confuse that with okay. multitasking. Some task people. Switch are really good at task switching. They can do one thing, then they'll have right. to leave it because you can only focus on one thing, then do another. But they remember where they were, so when they need to go back, they can go to it just fine. That's a cognitive gadget we call executive function, by the way. If you can do that and task switch between, it can look a lot like multitasking, as if you're having all of these. Remember the old Ed Sullivan show where those plates yeah, spin the plates around on the yeah mm -hmm. yeah uh, uh, that's what it feels like because what you're doing is you're rubbing one right. and rub the other one and then that's more what the brain can do. He is not spinning all those plates at the same time. He's going from one to the other. Right. The way I think of it as scanning is as a pilot in right. instrument conditions, you have to look at six or seven different uh, inputs from instruments, and you are taught not to, folk, not to spend any too much time on one of them and let the other one get out of the way. So it's a little like that. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. if you're flying IFR, well, you're going to have to lots lots of things have to come into your mind but because you can only focus on small pieces of them you end up getting something in aggregate and most importantly you can tell if something is all of a sudden off with one of them and direct your attention there for a short period of time so how do i know if i'm one of those super um talented people who can text and drive better than anybody <laughs> <laughs> nobody can text and drive better than anybody else half of them are dead yeah. <laughs> Text and die, I think, is better. Yeah, that might be better. No, it was that was actually you. The initial findings, uh, it was done at, originally at the University of Utah, uh, ended up being the final ones, too. If you are doing texting and driving, you are driving at the level of, I don't know, I think the la latest one I saw was about, about at a, blowing it at about 0.28. So you're catastrophically drunk. And uh, uh, so don't, if you t text and drive, your chances of getting into a, into a wreck either you're hitting a pedestrian or you get a collision with somebody else, you just fall off the road is infinitely greater. Yeah. If I were, if I, if I could wave a magic wand over the entire United States with a digital world, I would have their, everybody's cell phones disappear for the period of time they're in the car. And then when they get out of the car, magically reappear. I love so, the magic wand. It's one of my favorite things. Yes. Zip, go ahead. Uh, from a musical standpoint. So when somebody is, is playing, a keyboard and a pattern with one hand and on another keyboard is playing a pattern that's totally different in different time signature and then is singing on top of it yeah. is that muscle memory yeah. or is that multitasking? Executive function, isn't it? <laughs> well, that's a good question. 
because since you cannot multitask, it's going to have to be very fast task switching, or you have another response available to you. If you practice it enough, you can make it so reflexive I that the motor skills necessary manner. to do it hmm. no longer uh, percolate up into your consciousness. And then you can just go at it like that. In fact, there are some recording. I think Hor this was done with Horowitz, the old piano uh, guy from way back when. Uh, they measured his ability to go fast was too fast for his brain to actually respond. And so they're thinking, no, he just turned it into a reflexive memory and called it up like, boy, am I to show my age here, an old batch file in DOS land? Does anybody remember <laughs> a batch file? <laughs> I'll be right back. I'm going to look that up. <laughs> oh, shut up. Yeah, my, <laughs> Already my he loved me, Bob. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Well, Ed, go ahead. You take the next question. No, I just, the ability to multitask, which is which is tremendous for those that would shed for days and hours and weeks and years and all that kind of thing. I have this inability to remember where I put things. And memory, my mother... And I'm not going to blame her, but I say she called me the absent-minded professor as a child for a reason, and sure. it's so true. I lose things, I forget things. I, I just my short, my short long-term memory is great. Short-term memory, not so much. Sure. Well, it's we actually don't call it short-term memory anymore. We call it working memory. Working memory. Okay. Yeah. I like, you can think of like a desk. Yeah, it's a, it's a better term. The uh, but it is shorter. I mean, it has the, the idea that it's got it's a a buffer with a time uh, uh, with a clock on it. Um, mm -hmm. Some people are have tons of working memory, and they just do. In when I teach kids who have a ton of working memory, and I can sense it, we have mistakenly called them intelligent. Not that yeah. they're not that there isn't a talent for that, but it's because they can behold so many things all at once and visit them routinely in, in this volatile buffer, but remember them for a short period of time. By the way, the clock is usually about two hours tops. But really? if they can remember it for a short period of time, we think that they have instant access to information and infant access to their own insights and whatnot. We call them smart. Working memory can shrink or expand like an accordion. And one of the greatest uh, um, uh, 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 predictors of uh, working memory mm. is, how, is how stressed you are. How stressed. How stressed. stressed. How oh, stressed. God. That is so true because the more stressed, the more I forget. Correct. Like in the 10 minutes before this show when you couldn't get your microphone to work. <laughs> <laughs> and poor Lizzie got caught in crossfire. There was collateral damage. And, and then what we did is we like just let it go. It'll be fine. It's your face that we love the most. So, but but I, And that happens to me all the time. I want everything to be perfect, and yeah. I get stressed. And then I'm not as good when I'm stressed. Well, and that's what makes you my, my, yoga, my yogi. <laughs> yeah. Well, when we talk about stress, though, we have to be careful with the definition, because stress might sound like an aversive response. But it is. It is. What it is is it's not the brain can handle aversive responses all day long out in the Serengeti or on the sides of the Ngorongoro crater, which we grew up in. That's our evolutionary uh, uh, home. Uh, we probably experience life-threatening situations, maybe even once a day. The saber-toothed cats out there. The we don't get all the resources of water we need. Somebody falls down and oh, I don't know, breaks their collarbone. Zip, <laughs> <laughs> would you show us show us the blue? Black oh, and blue. No, it's no, not that it's, bad. It's, it's dissipated. It's it's yeah. what, what we know is it's not the presence of an aversive stimulus that's the problem. The problem where where the brain gets messed up, where your working memory collapses, to get to the point, 
um, mm -hmm. has to do with your feelings of being in control of the stimulus. If you feel in control of even the bad stuff coming at you, and control now is measured in two dimensions, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, but the more in control you feel, the more relaxed you are. You John, might not it's even technology. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm not in when, control. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Controls an illusion with weak with a weak species like well, us. Well, define it. Say a little more about control. What control means too, because that's an interesting uh, yeah. that's an interesting word itself to define. What does it mean? Elucidate, John. <laughs> <laughs> control is the ability to exert a force in the direction that your will wants it to go. Okay. Okay. That's control. Control is measured in. I'm sorry. I command thee. <laughs> yeah. So if, if it's a saber-toothed tiger at me and I have a gun, I'm going to have more confidence than if I don't have a gun and I just have to run. Is that yes, absolutely. the gun right. is control, a form right. of control? Okay. Better, or it can be. Or a feeling of control, even if you're not in control. You feel like you have a you have a literally a shot at, uh, at being able to survive the experience. But mm. the two dimensions are important. The ability to control the uh, the more the point is the more out of control you feel, the more likely you are into to enter into a type of stress that can actually cause brain damage if it continues. Um, out of control now measured in these two dimensions. You can't control the frequency of the bad thing coming at you, and you can't control the severity of the bad thing coming at you once it has arrived at your doorstep. When you Can say you give me something besides a saber-toothed tiger to think about when you say that right now? Because I still can't get the saber-toothed tiger out of my head. And it's that hasn't happened for thousands of years to, to my people, perhaps. But Well, let, let me give you a really icky illustration. You're a five-year-old, okay. and your dad's an alcoholic, and is going to go home and beat you when you get home from school every night. Hmm. There's nothing you can do about it because you're you five years old. past right now? <laughs> and, you, <laughs> and you have to go home. So you are out of control. I, the modern battlefield, where you now have these kinetic ballistic weapons, mm -hmm. for which there really is no real defense. Kevlar can do a little bit, but it's not yeah. going to do any good against the howitzer. The, uh, uh, I would argue in the old days when all it was was swords and shields and spears, if you can wield those pretty well, you might feel more in control of a situation than not, particularly if you were on a horse or a chariot. But the modern battlefield, that control is all gone. It's an illusion. It's a crapshoot whether you're going to survive or not. So it makes sense to me that the most severe form of this type of stress, post-traumatic stress, I don't like to use the word disorder. I like to use the word injury because the, that type of stress is actually a brain injury, not a, not a syndrome. It's not a disorder. There's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> the brain is responding like it's supposed to. The, uh, uh, under those circumstances, that's a perfect illustration of how deeply control affects your ability to perceive the stress you're in. John, when you say brain damage, what actually happens? Does it mess up you chemically? Is that damage the kind of damage you're talking about? The yes. brain chemistry? Okay. Yes. It can. Uh, there are cortisol. You may be familiar with that. It's a glucocorticoid. It's a steroid. It's a it's a it's a stress hormone. A child of the HPA axis, hypothalamic pituitary adrenal. You get a lot of cortisol in there. It can slip through the blood brain barrier, go into the areas of the brain that are normally involved in learning, such as the hippocampus and the dentate gyrus and other areas of the brain, and go and switch off some of the molecular machinery. In particular, it can switch off something that is normally miracle grow for your brain and your brain depends on to function well, a biochemical called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF. I know that's a big word, yeah. but cortisol is the sworn enemy, is BDNF's worst nightmare. And if you've got, if you've got 
tremendous amounts of stress with cortisol just surging through your body over and over and over again, you can beat parts of your brain into smithereens. So when I say brain damage, I literally mean it. You no longer have the miracle grow and those things, no, the, uh, you cannot get the positive benefits of those biochemicals and your brain shrinks. Yep. It actually shrinks. Actually, actually shrinks. Wow. Particular regions, not the whole thing, but particular right. regions. Yeah. I Back feel like I cross um, the tassel now over. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about something a little more positive. <laughs> back back to a, a little to our attention spans, because uh, I, I want to swing this ar around a little to modern living. Um, although the saber-toothed tiger is going to be with me for the rest of the evening. When you say <laughs> something <laughs> like that. I, I always realize that that uh, and maybe we could speak a little bit about this before we get back to short attention spans, because obviously I have one. Um, I always um, think of the fact that although we're only here for if we're lucky, if we're Betty White, almost 100 years or, or whatever we get, our experience of being alive and being a part of civilization, that a lot of our um, responses to stimulus and a lot of our uh, character even is is in our DNA and I and I don't know how I don't know how much but I know there are things that are instinctive when you say saber tooth tiger mm -hmm. uh, I can conjure up the image of running from something that's trying to eat me sure. even though here the most angry house cat just wants me to feed it <laughs> so um, yeah. so could you speak a little bit about how our uh, and again you're a scientist so we're not talking pop science here because uh, tribalism is thrown around in the news all kinds of ways in politics what exactly what how can we recognize parts of our behavior uh, that are instinctive and how do, how can we interact with them better well one thing you can say about behavior when I talk about this in lecture I immediately start with a thought question because what you're asking is how much of the behavior is anchored in our genes and how much of our behavior is not anchored in our genes that might be subject to the cultures that we, we live in. And the metaphor I usually use is I just say, well, I ask a question. If you have a ship, what part of the boat is responsible for making it float? The starboard side or the port side? And usually hmm. I get a snide reaction in the back of the room because some guy raises his hand and he says, she says, yeah, trick question, it's both. Bingo. You have two large giant origins of your behavior, and most behaviors have both have components to both. One of them is the nature side of your behavior. That's the DNA. That's the stuff you're born with. We hardwired. Yeah, go ahead. Hardwired. Hardwired. <laughs> yeah, it is the stuff that it's a little bit like your eye color. And because those are behaviors that are hardwired, you could no more change those behaviors than you could change your eye color. Um, but there's a whole other side to this, and that is the nurture side. And they used to fight each other, nature or nurture. Now we know it as nature and nurture. But the nurture side is the is the uh, uh, the culture that you live in, the environment that you're in, that can be affecting the brain that you're bringing into that culture, but is affected by that culture simply because the culture exists. Your brain can be plastic enough to respond to it, and it certainly will. But you're born with the ability to speak a language. You're not born with the ability to speak German. So you've got nature on one side, the ability to make a linguistic imprint on the world. But then you've Port. got whatever culture you're going to come to, which will then give you the language that you're going to speak there. So it's starboard. Both. 
Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So nature and nurture. So um. So when I'm experiencing the world or family or stress or situations, um, I uh, this is how I think of it. I don't know if this is scientific or not. There's a there's um, actually a nun once described this to me. She said. <laughs> Oh, when you're when you're having a fight in your head about what to do, uh-huh. listen to the quiet voice. Yeah. Does that oh, make any sense? That's good. Oh, wow. That's, that's a wonderful great. metaphor. Yeah, it's uh, almost profound, Bob. It's not like you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Inspired well, by John. Yeah. How well you can listen to your quiet voice, though. Shall we do a nature nurture part of that story? Sure. That, yeah. That yeah. Be a, um, um, it's interesting. We now know there's a book you guys might want to read. It's called The Long Shadow of, of Temperament, and it's by Jerome Long Kagan. Shadow. Yeah, Long Shadow, Long Shadow of Temperament by Jerome Kagan. He just died. He was in his 90s. He was still doing research. Um, and he's worked with a couple of folks uh, eventually at the University of California, San Francisco. Uh, have you ever heard of the concept of personalities, orchids, and dandelions? That's a metaphor, but it's a... Because nope. it, it, that's that was a now. song in the 60s or 70s, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's Crimson and Clover. but okay. no. Crimson and Clover. That's <laughs> the yeah. and the yeah. Yeah, This go. is why you did so well on classic rock. Incense, peppermints, crimson, and clover. Yes. There you go. We were all in my eye. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, the, the idea of uh, uh, there are people that are born they're born. This is a nature thing I'm about to say that uh, of the University of California, San Francisco calls orchids. The reason why they're called orchids is it's a, it's a comment on their temperament because they are orchids. They have, to, they can flower and grow and be beautiful, but you have to treat them in a very particular way. And they have to grow up under a very particular set of cultural circumstances in order for them to thrive. They are extraordinarily sensitive to their outer environment. All of your humidity, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, there are babies that you can test. In fact, Jerome Kagan calls it baby 19. It was the first time he'd ever seen it. You can literally have babies that will, if you turn the light on too abruptly, they'll start crying because they're so sensitive to to their outer environment. You can measure this by looking at cardiovascular recovery rates. So you stress somebody and then see how long it takes for their heart to settle back down after they've, that's how you can measure it. Um, They're orchids. They are extraordinarily vulnerable to depression and anxiety disorders as they grow up. Mm-hmm. They are, uh, and they'll often self-medicate with substance abuse and whatnot. But if they can make it past the, well, I'll just call the normal cultural hurdles, they turn out to be extraordinarily productive citizens. In fact, if you do the 20, 30-year longitudinals, which have been done, orchids make more money than anybody else. In fact, Jerome Kagan loves to hire the orchid. Because they're so darn conscientious when they get into the laboratories and you know do the detailed work that you have to do inside. So there's orchids. Do uh, we know any orchids? Pansy. I, you know, no wonder I didn't turn out an orchid. You're a pansy. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say, Zip? Do we know <laughs> any any nor, any orchids by name? You know, <laughs> uh, yeah. Any celebrity orchids you could mention so that we have a um... an idea, a, a typical example of an orchid. I do know one, I didn't follow her case very well because she ended up having a, a beginning of a psychotic break for a while. Um, it was the woman who played the character Kess on the Star Trek Voyager series, I believe. Okay, yeah, I remember um, her. She was she was a great actor, apparently. She did a lot of great things. They wanted to keep her on, 
but she got increasingly difficult to work with. But what was happening is that she was beginning to break, and eventually they fired her because they couldn't. Jordan Laforge, it was his fault. <laughs> Kate Mill Crow, you know, you just can't be. No. Yeah. Uh, um, and I would say that's probably something that feels that felt orchidish to me when I saw that. But okay. there's a whole other group of people that aren't orchids. They're called dandelions. Dandelions, the reason why they're called dandelions is they can flower anywhere. It doesn't matter where you put them. You know, they if it's if it's if it's a desiccated area, if it's too much water, if there's too many pesticides. I mean, you can do all kinds of things. This is the Tom Hanks character in Saving Private Ryan, because yeah. even in the midst of stress, they tend to be calmer. And when the reason why I triggered that uh, thing, Bob, when you said find your calm, your happy place, people that are orchids can't find their happy place very easily. The, uh, people who are dandelions can find their happy place much easier. And if you follow them in their longitudinals, they're much less vulnerable to anxiety and depressive disorders. Like I say, they don't tend to make as much money as the orchid. But in the end of the day, they also have less substance abuse issues, and they probably lead a happier life. See, Bob is drought tolerant, and that's why <laughs> he makes the big bucks. <laughs> he is a dandelion. <laughs> well, I'm everybody feeling, else. So, I'm, I'm feeling sorry. like a pansy as we talk. But keep going. <laughs> Well, think of this as a continuum because you can be orchidish or dandelionish. Yeah. Most human behaviors, at least when you're looking at personalities, really are better thought of as continuum rather than absolute categories. Right. So, uh, um, I think there's a bit of joke about calling the middle, uh, uh, the middle uh, part here, uh, tulips. I don't know what that is, <laughs> <laughs> but there are people that are uh, orchidish. They're they're not as sensitive as somebody on the extreme, but they are they're sensitive. And there are some people that are dandelion-ish. They're not as you know rock solid as Tom Hanks, but they're close enough that uh, you can see it. So when you ask, it's, a, con it's a continuum like like anything else, like sexual orientation or whatever. There's yeah. people across the spectrum. All right, what's the third one? Uh, the third one, what? Sorry. Oh, so dandelions. Dandelions. Or, uh, that's it. Okay. That's one two. Oh, that was it. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why I thought there was, there's always three of everything. <laughs> <laughs> we can put those tulips in there. You want to, you know, we can. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so is, is part of this knowing which way you tend to feel? And can I tell if I'm, cause I think I'm more orchid like because I'm extremely sensitive to, I mean, I'm not an, in terms of, you know, being extremely that way, but I'm very yeah. sensitive to uh, other people's feelings around me. And um, I do rely on other people in order to feel well. Like if I'm, if I was suddenly bombing in front of all three of you, I would start to feel cold and clammy and sure. run out of things to say. Don't worry, Bob, I'm here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, there's Support, also another yeah. cognitive gadget we could throw into the mix. If whether you are born an orchid or a dandelion, and by the way, where this is headed or could be headed, you would, tr if, if we can tell if you have, a baby who's going to be an orchid or a dandelion. We can actually measure that. How? And we could, well, you do the cardiovascular recovery rates. Most parents know it instinctively. They know that they there are some babies that you just, yeah. you know, my well, daughter is going to be high maintenance. <laughs> I said, right. But my son is going to take a pick. Okay. But if you know that in advance, you would parent an orchid very differently than you would parent a dandelion. Both can succeed, but man, one requires a great deal of uh, thought about the context and the environment that they're growing up in, much more so than a dandelion, as if to say, you can't treat kids equally just because you, they came from the same mother and father. You can have a family where there's one orchid and one dandelion, and you just have to be careful. I think in the future, that 
I'm not sure if it should be an option, but it is available and would certainly be informative to parents. Uh, just even knowing that, I think, can be useful, even if you don't measure. Do you think that uh, we will ever go to genetic engineering to dictate what your progeny will, will be, an orchid or a dandelion? And also, question number two, if I may, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> can you have people that go back and forth uh, between the two, the uh -huh. tassily? Well, let's, let's uh, the first is I don't think any genetic engineering is going to happen. There's actually a law against being able to discriminate. Are the dogs in the play in Germany or any place over there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But to the second question, whether you're going to be an orchid or a dandelion, in some, we're, we're talking about our basic ground states. But you could be a, a dandelion, a dyed in the wool, Tom Hanks, saving Private Ryan, let's storm Gold Beach or Omaha Beach. Um, are there are issues for which they would call themselves an orchid? They are sensitive to some things. They're not ground state orchid. They're ground state dandelion. But if there's somebody that means a great deal to them, like if their kids' opinions of them mean a great deal, your kids' opinion of you can mean a great deal to you and can oh, yeah. devastate you, even if you're a dandelion. So under those circumstances, it's contextualized. So the best thing we can say when we're talking about orchids and dandelions, we're talking about the word temperament. And the word temperament, literally, scientifically, is the ground state, your, your, your normal approach. So great question. You can be an orchid in, as a dandelion. And I would also argue you can sometimes be a You piss off a, an orchid long enough, push them up against the wall, they're going to go dandelion all over your head. Yeah. They're going to dandelion you to death. <laughs> I'm going to beat you to death with a milkweed. There you go. <laughs> um, we have a couple more minutes with uh, Dr. Medina. Zip, you got something? I was just going to say, is it true that when we're born or when, you know, children are born, they're basically a pure sponge as far as learning? And as they grow older, if they have a traumatic experience or they're abused or they go through some kind of trauma, uh, they build filters and then are, are unable to progress as they should have as a, as a pure soul. That's yeah. Bad way to put it, but yeah, no, I think I get it. The uh, yeah, babies are born, they're sponges. You can learn a lot about how people learn and how I'm going to use the word should, so I'm going to give a moral agency to this argument. <laughs> you should be curious, in my view. I consider that a postulate. It's it's one of our best instincts to to want to figure out uh, the answer to a problem, and you can be born with that for sure. But I also have to say this: the brain doesn't give a rip about learning. It doesn't care about learning. Its job description is survival. It uses yeah. learning in the service of survival, but it doesn't use survival in the service of learning. It's not the, the train that drives us is Darwin, not Mother Teresa. So, so the preservation that is the prime directive, if you will. Correct. And if you traumatize a developing brain in such fashion that survival could be a question a couple of times, the brain will imprint off of it. In fact, the brain is so sensitive that if you are still in the, in, in the womb, and mom gets stressed, those stress hormones can go right into the baby's hypothalamus. It's an area of the brain that actually is controlling uh, parts of emotions and feelings and rewire it in such fashion that when that baby is born, now this has to be severe trauma. So it'd be like Syrian refugees almost drowned on a boat type trauma. Right. It's, gotta be, it's gotta be severe. The, uh, uh, but that with, if that, uh, uh, those stress hormones leach into that baby's brain, will rewire that brain so that that brain now stays on a state of permanent high alert. Wow. And what you can measure this. It's easy to do. Nor, for typical people that do not have that trauma, 
they they're let's go back to cortisol for a second the stress hormone the glucocorticoid mm -hmm. normally it's high in the morning and low in the evening so you it, it, it has a decrease that's normal then you build it back up during the night and then it builds up again you go so if you really need to have an argument but you don't want to hurt the relationship make sure you do it at nine o'clock at night okay oh. <laughs> when, you know when the soldiers aren't there the uh but sorry the reason i say that yeah. is if you measure a baby that has been under severe stress and you measure and then they grow up as they begin to grow you measure their cortisol levels they're high in the morning they're high in the evening they're high in the midday they are on a permanent state of alert and it's so toxic can be so toxic that it can actually interfere with their bone mineralization so as they're developing as an 11 or 12 year old uh, usually you can measure it in the femur which is the big thick bone in, in us femur, yeah. Wow. You don't get the you don't get all of the bone mineralization that you should. So yeah, you can be you can start out curious. You can be deeply affected by the trauma that, that either your parents are going through in utero or you or you experience as you begin to grow up. One quick question, Bob: um, Is astral projection a real thing? Does it actually? Because I I know I read that the government was actually involved in that in in the seventies and eighties, and then they scrapped the program because it was so um controversial they sent spies supposedly astrally projecting that we're reading documents in russia true or false 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 Thank it's, you. this at the same time they were also developing what's called the davy crockett howitzer which was a a a, a a a land gun to throw a nuclear weapon and the reason why they couldn't they couldn't make a nuclear weapon small enough not to destroy the people who actually shot the shooter it. gets <laughs> taken out yeah days of lsd i mean there's a whole lot of that stuff but God bless them for trying. I mean, there's no, I love uh, good questions way, way out there. But the tools of science are extraordinarily rigorous, ultimately falsifiable. And in the case of astral projection and a number of dissociating reactions that seem to have an almost spiritual component to it. Uh, you'll forgive me. It's a pile of nonsense. So it's, it's bunk. Yeah. Bunk. So all the people that go to heaven and come back, uh, they, didn't, they didn't make the trip, right? They pay for the ticket and everything, but couldn't get the They trip. have good imaginations. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Having said that, uh, and, and thank you so much for your time, John, uh, I, I, I do want to mention that uh, John, uh, for a guy who started this conversation with we don't know. All <laughs> <laughs> favorite words. Yeah. And, 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 and your discipline, John, of requiring science to, to prove something is, is amazing. But there's another side of John, which we won't have time to thoroughly get into tonight, but maybe we can close with something uh, along this line. There's also in the we don't know so many things about the human brain that are be beyond our comprehension that light up the curiosity of scientists like John, even though he can't explain them. And we've talked about a few of them. If you could leave us with one amazing story about the potential of, for things we could still yet learn. Oh man, there's so many things. Um, I know. I was I watched your head go. I could say. We talk about AI first. we can talk about AI, but I consider that a contradiction in terms. No, the. Uh, um, in fact, we can talk about AI if you like. It's to a brain scientist, most of those things are just purely pattern matching. And what you're doing with algorithms is you're making really fancy pattern matching, and the only thing that's gotten big and it's gotten big, big to be uh, intellectually obese is the, is the size of the database that a particular set of problem solving algorithms can actually work on. But this it doesn't the biggest oh, database on earth. Is it not? 
Yeah, and, but it doesn't go any further than that. In fact, I have how many? Do I have thirty seconds? Is that you have as long as you want? I was just trying to be polite and not keep you too long. Okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll end with this because it's it's a great okay. way to, to get started on the fact that there is so much out there. I mean, we don't know how you know how to pick up a glass of water and drink it. We don't. We don't know most of the basics. We don't know how you know how to pick up a pencil and write your name with it. But one of the things that you can see. Did you guys happen to read several weeks ago in the New York Times? where their technology editor actually took jet, uh, chat GPT and took it out for a spin. Did you happen to read yes. any of that? Yep, I did it's, read some of that, yeah. It is an extraordinary thing to watch us do what you have to be so careful with when you're working with the brain sciences, and that is our extraordinary willingness to anthropomorphize data that's coming into our into our brains. Uh, we do that with animals all the time. We, all we the time. think they're disgusted or happy or whatnot, and we have no idea what... That we don't have a microphone inside their heads. We can't, you know, we can't. I think we do. We can't find, yeah. But one of the things that I saw almost immediately, because I, I could feel it a little bit myself, um, uh, he's quizzing, and I believe the chat GPT called herself Sydney. I believe that's right. And, uh, uh, um, and, and, the, and the technology editor of the New York Times simply said, I already know who you are. Your name is Sydney. And there's a pause. And then the, the, the chat GPT said, uh, asks, how did you know that? <laughs> Are and you with the government? Can you almost feel the anthropomorphism that that's a mild threat response, that there's actually a human being in there that was threatened because all of a sudden her identity was being revealed? And we anthropomorphize that as surely as we look at our dachshund and think he's smiling. And so because of that, he's happy when in fact he has a freaking toothache. <laughs> So well, that's where the G whiz part of that is. It's, there's so much that's out there. Maybe the best way to, to answer the question to end this is just to say, we don't know. And isn't that just the most wonderful three words in the whole wide world? Yeah. yeah. We can be in awe of what we don't know, as well as disciplined about what we do. John, thank you. I want to recommend uh, your books to people. If you, you came on and recommended someone else's book. Uh, I would say Brain Rules for Aging Well for the audience of this particular yes. podcast. Talk about your, your car at 200,000 miles. Also, yeah. uh, if you have grandchildren or children, Brain Rules for Baby is amazing. And if you want to start with the original Brain Rules. But the newest book, the one I read most recently, Brain Rules for Work, really speaks to something maybe we'll talk to about another time, but how power influences the dynamic at work and even in governments and could relate to some of what we're feeling about, you know, powerful narratives and divisiveness in society right now. We don't have time for that now. Uh, maybe next time. John, such a pleasure. And thank you for all your thank support you this so year. Much. It's been really wonderful. Yeah. Oh, it's Great. terrific to Great be job. with you guys. Nice to meet you, too. Uh, you guys have you a great day. Thanks. Bob, you right. be well, buddy. My thank you, my friend. Take care. Okay, bye. Yes. Bye-bye. <laughs> okay. That is one of the best guests we've ever had. It's one of the best guests anybody could ever have. I mean, oh um, you his know, excitement I, and enthusiasm about the potential is the thing that's just... Oh, he's high. Come on. Yeah. He's, he's not. No, <laughs> no, no I know. it's a natural. But can I, can I say something about that? Because, um, you know, guys, he's been a friend of mine for, I don't know, 10 or 12 years now. But when he heard that I had cancer, he reached out to me and said, uh, may I be with you on this journey? And every, you know, three or four weeks or so, we hadn't, we'd had a lunch occasionally. But now we catch up every once in a while. And people say to me, 
how come you're so enthusiastic and you feel so happy and things are so great? <laughs> and I say, I get some of it from this really good friend of mine who yeah. just spews that awe and positive thinking. Like, and you know, I'll, I'll be subject to some negative thinking once in a while, especially if I turn on the news or I worry about health or, or other things. And then I'll remember there is so much that's fascinating about family and love and friends and all of the experiences you get to have, then you sort of get to choose which one you want to focus on if your executive function is working well and you're focused every minute of every day. So how cathartic for you to have that time with him. Yeah. Oh, it's been it's been great. And and you know, I, I was talking to another friend recently who knows both of us and he's got a really exciting opportunity happen and I found myself doing this and I went Oh, we are influenced by our friends. And so, John, yeah, very blessed. Uh, but also, his way of looking at things, um, it's grounded in science. It's grounded yeah. in data that we do know. I, he may, he won't, probably won't mind me saying this, but a number of years ago, we were talking about a popular doctor on television Oh, uh, named after that, uh, you know, that show that Dorothy and the Cowardly Lion were in. You remember that show? And well, I have no he... idea what you're talking about, Bob, <laughs> but continue to hang yourself. I'll just make the noose right here. Yeah. So this doctor at the time was at the oh, oh, peak of his that. popularity, and he yeah, could really, the media loved him. And he went, mm -mm, no, pop science, bunch of junk. Yeah. Just the way he said, like, uh, we were talking about the, uh, we were talking about the astral projection. Not a lot of bunk. No, no, yeah. scientist. He calls it the grump factor. No, no, sorry. nothing proven. No evidence to that fact. And at the time I went, well, Oz is really nice. And he explained how my liver works and why I shouldn't drink so much. You know, and I was just like, I, I was enamored of him as, a, you know, speaking to the masses about he was your body. An Oprah yeah. creation, right? He was, uh, he was, um, what's the word? Um, what spawned him? He blossomed as uh, a guest on her show. Okay. And yes, yeah. He's a spinoff. Yeah, it's like Fraser Crane came from uh, Cheers. Oh, Niles, don't be yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but I found but him anyway, you know, doing endorsements, though, for supplements. And yeah, I, I but uh, over that. time, by the way, Dr. Oz started to be called out on various miracle cures and things that he was talking about it that turned out not to be true and even and even harm some people they said i'll get into politics they believe anything right <laughs> so this is why you know a good basis in science is is a great way to not get overexcited about stuff that isn't real which yeah. we have as he spoke about at the end we have a tendency to want to believe cool well, we're naive as a, as a culture yeah yeah well we're just as individuals we're just like Born, we shit ourselves. We figure Thumbs out how to put on clothes, and sign. And eventually, we end up shitting ourselves again. So I think I that don't, visual, we just don't lost spoil it. the ending of this. Control of our body, bodily functions. Yeah. Get old and oh, lose them. Yeah, I mean, we're all we're very limited, and yet the the fact that we're limited should just be fascinating, and we and we should be more comfortable and relaxed in what we do know. Anyway, John Medina, uh, I get all excited every time I hear him speak. Wow, fascinating uh, guy. So we have a couple things to talk about. We also have uh, my son, Andrew, who's going to join us on this podcast. I'll just bring Andrew in because he's a, a family member. Um, and he's, uh, our, he's, he's your little orchid. Yeah. Andrew, you there? How you doing? 
Good. I wish I, I wish I could be there. Mom's birthday, but I, I don't care. So happy birthday, anytime. <laughs> you care about your mother? Yes. Well, that's totally understandable. <laughs> you know, if you turn your phone sideways, you take up the whole screen. Well, uh, you know, I'm not a brain scientist, so I don't know how these things work. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. Um, it's good to see you, Andrew. Oh, where, where is Andrew? He's walking. He's walking. Yeah. And oh, I sorry, I had, to, I had to run some uh, errands real quick. Oh, this is a stunt. This is a stunt. Oh. <laughs> it's Dizzy Cam. Dizzy Cam. There he is. Oh my God. Oh wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. There you oh, you can turn off your phone now. <laughs> I've got. Uh, That's not fair. There you go. Yeah, you, you did know that it was going to start feeding back. Okay, I don't know. How, oh, you know where you got to do? Yeah. Yeah, you got to share this mic. You don't have two mics. No, I don't have a camera to come from the other side. Oh, sit and laugh like the old days, kid. Come on. Yeah. Stool. We should have planned this out a little better. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Another great bit on sound. <laughs> I might get fired. Oh, who would fire me? <laughs> who would hire you? This is one of the things about doing a podcast, by the way. Um, it, it was, uh, oh, perfect, Andrew. Thank you. It was uh, understood. Go, close the door because it's part of the set yeah. now that people see that it's a house. It's not as interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and not a bunker. Yeah. It was, uh, and, and it, I, I don't know, it may feel a little this way to you guys too. It was a thing throughout my career that I could be fired at any time, could yeah. lose it. And that, um, so there was always this talk about prime directives. And I, I, I wanted to ask John this, but every time you ask him a question, you get 10 more minutes on it. And uh, when he was talking about how our brain is ruled by survival, I feel like work is the saber toothed tiger in this scenario. And that all the time I was working, I was trying not to get fired and trying not to screw up because that was where my food came from. My, my spear was my yeah. mouth, <laughs> which had to entertain people instead of, you know, stick them and gut them and skin them and, and cook them. Which uh, but which, yes, we, we verbally do sometimes. Anyway, so uh, anyway, so here at a podcast, there's a certain amount of freedom and with it comes, I suppose. A little bit of sloppiness. Well, there's also rules. Sorry. No <laughs> swearing when Joe's with us, right? Yes. I didn't swear. No. I guess that is swearing, though, technically. <laughs> I don't know. Are All we right. classing this thing up now? <laughs> no, no, we're not. Uh, so, um, all right. The family I, I gathered for Lisa's birthday. Is that correct? Yeah, Lisa's birthday was yesterday. Um, Keith and Leanne and Hazel and Georgia are arriving in eh, about a half hour or so. And we're all going to be together for three or four days. It'll be fun. So with Andrew here, um, I, I wanted to do this one other quick topic, and then we'll do whatever you want to talk about. Um, he, he and I went hiking uh, the other day, and it's the first time I've been able to hike um, more than half a mile with you, a mile. Anyway, it was a good. Big steps. Yeah, it was good. Amazing um, pictures, by the way. Oh, yes, from Desert Hiking. You have seen them. I forget. There's media. I've globally published these already. <laughs> um, while we were hiking, uh, we were talking a little bit about news, what's going on uh, currently regarding 
the Supreme Court Justice uh, Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas, yeah. Who uh, apparently took all kinds of lavish vacation gifts from a billionaire friend of his. And, you know, I like to play devil's advocate, so I'm like, so? <laughs> it's a lifetime appointment. I said that. Not, yeah, I said, not, in, uh, not in violation of, of uh, no laws. Very little stipulations on the part of the Supreme but Court. But doesn't the Emoluments Clause also apply to the Supreme nope. Court? No? Nope. No, nope, just you like Donald Trump can it, declassify I... documents just to buy dreaming he declassified them yesterday. Yeah. They're really, when you dig into it, yeah. um, it's a, it, it, to me, I, I mean, look, is it a bad look? That it's a terrible huge... optics. Yeah. yeah, but these days, ask Andrew, terrible optics are part of how you get noticed through all the clutter. He doesn't need to be noticed. He's doing two hundred and seventy-five grand a year on the bench. <laughs> look at his look at his hair. Look at his butt cracks. He's doing everything he can. <laughs> anyway, so so we started talking about this a little bit, and I told him a story about a twisted tune that we did yeah. way back when um, when Clarence Thomas was first in the news when he was being confirmed, and this would be how long ago? Oh, a long time back. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. 15, is it 20 years? I think it might even be longer. Someone longer. could Google that, maybe let us this, know on the text. Is this the pubic hair on the Coke uh, era? So I said to Andrew, we did a twisted tune about it called Pubic Hair. And he looked at me like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Wait. I And I said to him, it's so weird that this is a topical news story now, this Clarence Thomas guy. Because when he was he was the he was the most controversial Supreme Court pick ever in terms of the closeness of the vote, and what it was is he was supposedly um, sexually harassing his Anita. secretary Anita Hill. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, we did a couple of songs. We did "I Got No Thrill" from Anita Hill to take this part. <laughs> I got no thrill <laughs> from Anita Hill, and we did this song. Uh, and apparently one of her things that she testified, and by the way, the head of the Senate committee getting testimony from Anita Hill, Anita Hill about his harassment was this guy named Joe Biden. Oh, yes. And if you want to, this is what YouTube is good for this stuff. If yes, you want to Google into this. Um, yeah, this is, um, it's just fascinating that, have we got new people by now? So the story comes back and... If you remember those hearings, the old white congressman, by old, I think they were in their mid-40s back yeah. then, I think so. Um, no, they were old, always old ones, but Biden was young. Um, they were rude to her. They put her on trial. They grilled her. They grilled her in some rude ways about her, you know, womanness, if yes. you will. And Clarence Thomas fought back and got the nomination. And do you remember how he did it? Not off top. He lashed out at the committee hearings as stupid. I remember now, yeah. Bogus. And he said, they're not coming after me for any re other reason than I'm an, the uppity, I'm an uppity black man. Right. Played the race card, yeah. And so what did they do? They all got woke a little bit. And they voted him in. So uh, anyway, so now here, here we have 
a member of the Supreme Court justices gets free flights on private jets and goes to lavish uh, vacation destinations. And I'm thinking, okay, if that's against the law for it's a violation of rules, all right, great, let's get them. And then I find out, oh, there actually are no rules. It's a lifetime appointment. But the, the, the uh, distrust of that branch of the government is at an all-time high, if, if what I read in the uh, paper is true anyway. And then you've got his wife and some of the other wives. You mean news media give us a narrative that there's a lot of drama and we should be concerned? <laughs> Well, it's it's a lot it's a lot more calm uh, inducing to do it with with the newspaper yeah. than it is watching it on television. So they're telling us there's a saber toothed tiger after our democracy, <laughs> and we should run anyway. Uh, Who unearthed the story? How did this bubble to the top of the news cycle? Ooh, I forget which. It, it, it's got to be the Post or the New York Post. Times. Would get, I, yeah, just because it's a. I can't remember. Uh, you don't remember who hit the other car, just that there was a car wreck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what color car was it? I don't know. Uh, but traffic slowed down. Hey, Andrew, so what's the best way to talk to you now? If you use that mic? If I, I use this mic. Son, I would think. I will be out of the picture. Do you have a second mic somewhere? Uh, well, finally, the star of the show gets to take over. <laughs> yes. You haven't sold your hair yet? You go ahead. Go ahead, Andrew. Oh, hi. Well, you know, as a political expert, I'm no brain scientist, <laughs> but I am a rocket scientist, a political scientist. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, there's a tweet that from my favorite, uh, this guy who just parrots Richard Nixon on Twitter. He just pretends to be Nixon. Is that still that's still popular? Like pretending to be Nixon, even? Well, it's just political commentary, right? And from a smarter source, I would hope, you know. But he said, uh, when you come to understand how much of the law depends on people's honor and good sense, you start to sweat. <laughs> <laughs> and I've had those revelations about life where it's like the rules are kind of made up. Yes. Right? Like traffic, we all have this mutual understanding that you stay in this line and you stay in this line unless you drive in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> Not at uh, him, but yeah. <laughs> oh boy. By the way, I'm over here. <laughs> I said, we're going to. Uh, uh, I actually didn't give any thought to this. So, uh, yes, Andrew, now what were we saying? <laughs> This isn't how Leslie Stolper. Well, no. yeah. Uh, thanks for having me. This is the nicest rehab I've ever been to. <laughs> <laughs> when you say nicest rehab, what do you mean? Oh, is it? Is it, are you afraid to smoke pot in front of your? No, mother? I mean not you. No. I just oh. the kids and the you know. Oh yeah, yeah. It's they be. my they don't approve of my hobbies, comedy. <laughs> <laughs> Keith is uh he's funny but you know sometimes like I'll, I'll he'll call me up and I'll go you know I'll make a joke like oh miserable life is awful it's all crashing and then he wants to like give me this 40 minute lecture and and then you're like no 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 I was just, I was just kidding and then he thinks you're pushing him away and then you just have to like 
sit through the conversation because that's the fastest way to get off the, the fastest way is to let him give you advice <laughs> yeah. isn't he a little bit like your mother in that regard too? <laughs> it's her birthday give her a break yeah Bob. all right i'm a troublemaker yeah all right i like well, the idea be, of richard nixon uh, doling out device though. well device. that was the part that startled me is that in in 2023 yeah. People would even know who Richard Nixon was enough to actually parody him on social How media. How dare you? Mm. Well, maybe one day someone will be Bob Rivers' parody. <laughs> uh, that AI <laughs> app won't get used that much. What about but, a but it is Reagan true. Commander? Yeah. Ronald Reagan is always going to be a character. Now, yes. you, now, when he does Ronald Reagan, do you recognize the impression? No, he doesn't. Because he's just a, a little t toddler when I was... Well, never mind. Mommy, where are the... Sure, I mean, from historical parody and, you know, it's not the first time someone's done a, a bad Nixon impression. Or bad Reagan. Right, yeah. Reagan, sorry, shoot. All right. So what's up? What's up? What's new with you, Andrew? What's cooking uh, that we haven't talked about on the hike already? Uh, well, Did you listen to that song, Pubic Hair, that I sent you? Yes. Was it funny? No. <laughs> <laughs> But like I said, I'm in, I'm in, inspired by your failure. In, in context, yeah, you should be inspired by my failure. I yeah. I told him he used to sell albums called Bob Rivers Crap, and I was like, what a great yeah. These you are know, the ones that didn't work. When, when we were putting out the Twisted Tunes in an album, I, I, I had a whole bunch that I didn't think were good enough. And I said, well, <laughs> I, I, clearance sale time. Someone likes this Discount it, you know? rack. And so we made Crap 1, and it turns out we had enough for Crap Volume 2. I thought you had like three or four, but... Uh, I don't think I called them crap. That was the best of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the third one was called Diarrhea. And the, and the, yeah. <laughs> Tell me more about your crap career, Bob. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Well, I think that's admirable, and um, I stole it, by the way. My podcast is called Andrew's Crap. It's just me trying my worst jokes. Yep. Because uh, that you have to be willing to fail yes. to create something mm -hmm. great. Yeah. Because if you're scared of the failure, this is my my writing advice to people now is always like write your worst ideas down because sometimes you're like, oh, that's actually a good idea. Yeah. But if you dismiss it before it even gets to the paper, right. you're gonna miss a couple that are great, you know, because well, you'll go, ah, that's dumb. I love that, and 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 a way I do that is. If I have a terrible idea and I write it down and then I'll look at it and go, he should have done it this way. And then I'll go, oh, much better idea. Because <laughs> I'd love to criticize. So you're criticizing yourself and getting off on it. Tricking myself mm, into criticizing myself. Self-flagellation yeah. there. Well, or just I could just remember that I'm a Catholic kid. And that yes. helps too. Guilt. You're so, that's what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just uh, touring, self-producing um, I, I find a lot of music venues, uh, which is interesting because they're not used to having comedy. Um, so they don't hire security. Like a mosh pit is a normal activity for them. Sure. So, wow. you know, they overserve people. They don't care. And it's That's better you for the YouTube yeah. clips. Yeah. But, and I noticed like a lot of them have like sound dampening, you know, they build the venue for music. So they have you know music you want to i guess kill all the excess noise from bouncing off the walls ideally but in comedy that's what you want 
You want that you ambience. Want it's called laughs. ambience. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to hear them going, eh, the chicken wings and the, uh, you know. <laughs> right, right, right. You want it to be a... <laughs> when is the next guy on? Yeah, you know, yeah, you want yeah. to <laughs> overcome all that. But I was thinking about it because it can't... Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm hearing myself on a delay and trying to hear oh, oh, them. You want is it easier if you go in the other room? No, and, this is fine. Okay, so we'll all be on camera. Um... I'm embracing that I can't get fired over this. <laughs> <laughs> it's freeing, isn't it, Bob? It, it is, totally. All right. Well, uh, you know, with 30 listeners, it's not like even if you do something bad, who's going to believe you? No one saw it, you know? Um, <laughs> uh, but I noticed that... Um, in these live music, you know, sometimes the laughter doesn't make it to you and you think you're doing terrible because it dies in the room or whatever. Yeah, sure. and, yeah. and comedians are the nutsacks of performing artists. <laughs> if conditions aren't absolutely perfect. <laughs> the scrotum. Oh, it's cold. I'm going to shrink up into yes, my, you that's know. Right. I, I talked about that earlier. Yeah. How, yeah. yeah, if you're not getting the feedback. In my case, market. I get it from co-hosts. Uh, but um, but if you're not getting good feedback, it, it, it makes it much more difficult to. In fact, as John mentioned, you uh, when you have fear involved, you don't think as clearly when you're out, when you out of control. And that's probably it's probably nothing harder than stand up comedy for that. Oh, my God. Are you kidding? I, you like Zip, you Zip can brave. always. Yeah. Zip can always blame the bass player. Because <laughs> he ain't locked in. He's rushing yeah. the groove. And, and Ed can always say it's Mitch Album's fault today because he was off. You know, we all have somebody. But when you're a one man band out there, unless you got a, unless you're a ventriloquist, <laughs> you can play the Yeah. So I get it. Totally. Yeah. Well, um, How do you do? I had this uh, tarot joke go viral on Facebook. I saw that. I, now, I sort of not being in the dating age, I didn't quite understand it. It has nothing to do with dating. Well, really. It, I mean, it sort of sounded like it did. Well, the joke was um, pay attention to your girlfriend. Otherwise, she's going to let tarot cards make decisions for her. <laughs> <laughs> because a friend of mine is going through some stuff with her partner. And oh, I boy. saw her on instagram playing with tarot cards and i was like oh this guy is fucked you know yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> if you leave it up to the cards it's just random you know yeah tarot cards uh are we familiar with them um yeah oh yeah very uh, i mean i'm familiar with them the way i'm familiar with a whole bunch of stuff i said is a bunch of bullshit and haven't paid any attention <laughs> yeah. to in a long time it's just like yeah. a psychic or palm reading or any mm. of those uh dark arts maybe yep yep they want a seance, and then they shuffle a deck of cards, and then they go, oh, you got that one. That means this. And, uh, and they make money so at the, it. The, the, yeah, yes. It, it's, it's essentially the same as a Ouija board. Yeah. But where people don't realize they're moving their hand. I'm going to go into the picture a little. They're moving their hands <laughs> on the board to what they subliminally, subconsciously want the answer to be. They think it's, ooh, it's some kind of magic or some mm -hmm. kind of spirits are in the room. Yeah. So the joke is up to 11,000 shares on Facebook, which is pretty good mm -hmm. um, for me. Well, yeah, I mean... That's if Steve Hofstetter let his dog write a tweet, they would get more likes than that. But, you know, for me, these are good numbers. Yeah. Uh, 
Comparison is the thief of joy. <laughs> There's something for you for the I like that. <laughs> yeah, for the scientists out there. And you know what? At our age, we need more and more depressing slogans. That's <laughs> yeah. totally what we need. Yeah. Well, the idea is to compare. Yes, no, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. agree. Okay, with cool, yeah. cool. I just need more tools to stab myself in the front. <laughs> <laughs> you were writing comedy. Yeah. Um. So the joke got stolen a bunch of times, um, which I it happens. Yeah. Nobody owns words. When, when you can, say got stolen, no. uh, uh, what do you mean stolen on the internet? Well, people just copy and paste it and then post it from oh, their account. Okay. Got it. Stolen. Yes. You yes. know, to be or not to be. That is the question. I just thought of that. <laughs> yeah, I just thought of it too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and comedians get up and ants, you know, we, you know, but I, I, I think that's just human nature. Like people, people steal. It's easier than stealing copper, but way less profitable. So <laughs> steal my jokes. They're not getting me very far. So is that a catalytic converter reference? Sure. Copper, or, you know, no. Copper. Yeah. yeah. No. Oh, copper. Oh, copper wires, right? That's yes. what they steal. And that copper from. downspouts in Detroit. We're, we're very familiar with scrapping copper. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah, you know, yeah. I um, when I was a kid, people started doing that. I remember I was like 18, 19 years old, and we drove up to New Hampshire, and there was a railroad bed there, and the trains couldn't run because they'd stolen the copper from the signal lights. Uh, that, <laughs> you know, they should have yeah. the street lights here for crying out loud. Yeah, uh, and just you know, so I don't know what drug it was back then, <laughs> uh, but it's always drugs. I'm sure. Sure, pretty much. Yeah. So um, Andrew. Andrew, what are some of the unspoken terms of etiquette as far as comics are concerned? Oh, there's lots of the in terms of like rules. a joke sharing or yeah, just in general. I mean, what what's a uh, you know? No don't no. fuck the wait staff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, those are the Ten Commandments of comedy. Oh, okay. yeah. Like uh, uh, when you're borrowing someone else's premise or a joke, like. Oh, I hate flying on airlines is like a hack thing that everybody. Sure, there's a difference between the premise and the punchline. Right. You know, so if someone has an interesting premise and I go, you know, they didn't really do that justice. Yes. I might steal. Take the premise and go, let me write my own version of that. And if it's and if it's ninety-eight percent yours. Just the premise of, like, you know, I got on an airplane yeah. doesn't matter. And premises yeah. are very common. You know, I have a joke about, um, you know, dating in adulthood is like going to the pound. <laughs> it, it, they're not bad dogs, but there's a reason they're in there. <laughs> <laughs> so, How old are you right now? 38. 38. Yeah. Um, yeah. 38 so, in a week. Yeah. So you're saying the dating pool at 38 is not what it was at 24. No. Yeah. yeah. Um, no. Lots yeah. Of tarot by the way, cards. by the way, <laughs> she would say that too, right? Yes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, so, you know, you walk in the pound, some dogs wag their tail at anybody and <laughs> some are like, let me smell your fingers first. And yeah. I'm the one shivering in the corner. Like, I don't deserve love. Oh, you, know. <laughs> you just want a, a lonely girl that's like, I want to take them all home. This one licks my face. <laughs> but um, oh, man. anyway, so I discovered on, on Facebook, there are uh, meme pages which is someone just wrote, 
you know, Something one else. of them is called like hung like a half-eaten Tic Tac. <laughs> and then they just take the funniest things they see on the internet that day and post them. Hmm. And sometimes they credit the creator, like if they cause a funk, if you see it and you catch them, you can go, this was mine, you, how dare you? And yeah. sometimes they go, oh, in the comments that no one sees, they go, actually, this was from Andrew or whatever, but... Um, there is one called uh, Shithead Steve, which is very popular. It has <laughs> 7 million Instagram followers. Hmm. And so I submitted the joke to them because they take user-submitted content because I thought, well, that's a huge audience to get in front of. And I thought, yeah. how funny that times have changed in comedy where it's like in the 90s you're like i gotta get on the tonight show right, and then right. you're like i gotta get on netflix and now you're like i gotta get on the pee pee poo poo page you know? <laughs> she had steve yeah yeah it's very different wow but and yet the same yeah because you... wherever the audience is wherever the attention is yeah. is where you want to be yeah so i'm trying to learn all this stuff about tarot to flesh out more of the joke Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't want to actually learn anything about it's a <laughs> yeah, tough about position, yeah, you know? Yeah. It's like trying to write a book report in high school or prepare for a presidential debate. You want just enough Get the cliff notes. to yeah. fit in like a two-minute soundbite, you know? <laughs> wow. And uh, tarot is huge on TikTok, apparently. People scroll, and they get their tarot readings from TikTok. <laughs> which... I thought it was interesting. Like, how can a message like that be pre-recorded? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was it, so. That's like, um, how could wrestling be fake? It yeah. was always fake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's also like you're sending God to voicemail or whatever. Like, <laughs> like, he's so powerful. What if I don't get on TikTok? The message just uh, never gets to me. Like that doesn't seem yeah. fair. <laughs> That's not divine. Can you just hack into my microwave and tell me tarot card? It's so it's very vague. You know, it's it's like something is around the corner. You know, it's very like they yeah. never tell you something. They never tell the woman something they need to know, like where we should go eat later. <laughs> yeah, it's always nebulous. <laughs> By design. <laughs> um, I don't know if you know that. Okay, perfect. Closing story here. Um, I took a, a two-minute warning. It's like football. Everybody, just hang on. We're going to wrap this up soon. He clearly has a head injury. Um, I, I took a girl to a palm reader for a date. Uh, when you say date, when you say date and palm in the same sentence. Uh, <laughs> Well, yeah. All right, go ahead. You're too smooth for me. Yeah. But here's she was into all the dumb stuff, and I thought, oh, this will be fun. And then the palm reader told us we were a bad match for each other, and then she dumped me. No kidding. And I was like, this is stupid. You yeah. know, like I could have just paid my buddy 50 bucks, put him in a wig, and had him say whatever. Yeah. And I spent $200. End of the night, I'm reading my own palm. And, and yeah. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's, it's, it's easy. There's a reason it's not in the. That's on Ed River's crap, actually. Yeah, Ed River's crap a, album. No, it's that's not gonna make enough. it. Um, but uh, that's like it did you a favor, my friend. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the, the other moral of the story is, why play a game you don't want to win? <laughs> it, I find that too. It, you know, sometimes with like. 
emailing these venues. Like sometimes they go, we got a abandoned movie theater. Yeah. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, this this will work. You're like talking yourself into yeah, it. Yeah. And then they go seven hundred dollar rental fee and all. And then you're like, why am I trying to convince myself that this is a good, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tell you, when I look at your hair. I, I I see Kurt Co a little Kurt Cobain and where you are at. Remember, Kurt Cobain was this uh, um, basically got got no respect. His kind of music was considered nothing, and uh, you know, and he basically was in these bands that would play kind of like the venue you just described. <laughs> Sounds like we'll be meeting the same face. Soon. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Oh Jesus. <laughs> No, but but then he caught on to the public consciousness yeah. with Smells Like Teen Spirit. And then all of a sudden, and by the way, he couldn't handle it. I think you'd do okay with fame. Uh, but <laughs> he, he couldn't handle the fame uh, or the heroin, I think, actually. If you... or, or Courtney. <laughs> yeah. One was port and one was starboard on his sinking ship. <laughs> well, both uh, both are a hell of a drug. I've heard. Yes, I don't so know anything about that. Actually, I was. Uh, yeah, I was. But in you're Canada. kind of a grunge comic now because before you were the cute <laughs> <It's funny>. kid. <laughs> yeah, grunge comic. Once in a while. Wow. By the way, best thing ever happened to a dad of a comedian is he goes, oh, "That's funny." Like once a year. <laughs> <laughs> Um, when we were in Canada, we passed by this store. All right. Let me uh, let me show that. What store is that? Oh, Bob, it's uh, out of focus. Hold on. Out of focus. Back up. There you there go. You Hold go. it. Okay. No, I'm out of focus. Hold hey, on. I'll read, I'll read it to you. Okay. Shrooms, coca leaf, LSD, DMT, Kratom, peyote, San Pedro. Is that Vancouver? 19 plus. 19 plus. <laughs> they sell 19 year olds in there. That is. <laughs> Adults only mushroom dispensary.com. So this is in Canada. They're selling are they selling LSD? It's gotta be Vancouver, uh, right? Yeah. I, yeah. Vancouver. I, it was it Vancouver or Yeah, it is Vancouver. Okay. I knew it. Uh Mexico, we want to build walls. Canada, we want to build bridges, you know. Yeah. We want to knock down the walls of your mind, man. <laughs> yeah. No, but that that's makes a lot of sense. Yeah, they're going for it, I guess. How many of those have you had? Have you had shrooms? I did, but I put I was a pussy about it. So I told my friend, I have a friend that is a stand-up comic, Shane Moss. I don't think he'll <laughs> mind telling me the story. He does a psychedelics comedy tour and oh, wow. he let me open for him. And he was like and I was like, if I'm ever gonna do it, this is the guy to yeah. do it with. And I was but I was nervous. He was your shaman. Yeah. yeah. Trip sitter. <laughs> Guide me up the called. mountain. And uh, so I only took like a very small amount because I was like, I don't want to get. And so I barely I only felt a little, you know, I didn't have any visions. Uh, I have uh, delusions of grandeur as is. So, um, <laughs> you don't, yeah, that's you inherited extra. Um, and then I tried DMT, which is supposed to be the chemical that comes out of your brain when you die. No kidding. And so but again, it was uh, it's, I think I'll wait on that. one. Yeah. <laughs> To use, it's, uh, you're gonna take the long road. I like that joke. Yeah. It's good. Um, two, that's two in ten minutes. Two that's in amazing. one podcast. Yeah. Have you had kratom? No, I don't know what it is. Oh, I got that once. So when I was experiencing migraines, and really was looking for some relief from migraines, I was visiting Keith, and we were, you know, we we're in uh, Malibu, and I go into some health food store in Malibu with Keith, and he says, "Well, ask them. They have all kinds of migraine." supplements that you can take and this woman looked at me and said 
I think Kratom will work for you. And I looked it up, and supposedly people who are on opiates take it because it doesn't have addictive properties like opiates, but it has a little bit of a high similar to, you know, Oxycontin or Oxycodone. I can't write this and, down, actually. I got bored with it, so <laughs> I could maybe save good it, enough. I yeah. could maybe save you the trouble. Well, it it's um, because I was really seriously having having headaches that I, I didn't even care. I just needed something. And I took it and um, a little bit, it did have a little bit of a weird, like if you took half a tramadol, if anyone, there's, I see some recognition out there in the screen, <laughs> and, but it doesn't have the, like it doesn't stay and it doesn't make you want more. It makes you go, yeah, you know, sort of like, like waking up with a hangover, you go, yeah, I don't really want to repeat that experience. Yeah. So actually... <laughs> No, actually, I think it's good for people getting off opiates because it's it's got a little of that opiate feeling, and, and I can't believe I'm I'm so glad this is the end of the show. Like yeah, yeah, we can say this was AI, yeah. Chat GPT stole Bob's <laughs> voice, and uh... anyway, I've I find drugs fascinating now. I, th I fortunately don't have any uh, particular well, thing that I'm hooked on. So. You did talk to my friend Brett Druck because he takes mushrooms for his yes, headaches. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. So yeah, maybe that's an. Avenue. I said, that, look, I I'm for whatever. Like, look, it turns out if I had known how many people opiates would kill and how they would die of overdoses, I would have wanted to do it when I was in <laughs> high school. <laughs> Because remember, we were told drugs were evil, and that made us want them. Ah, right. uh, so I had, you know, I did, had no idea. Um, but it turns out, of course, that drugs in a medical setting are very important. Medicinal marijuana is very helpful to a lot of people, and has been helpful to me. Um, and so I no longer, I don't get judgmental about yeah. it. I actually think they should all be legal and yes, let you know, Vancouver. Yes. educate people and counsel them if they're doing something they don't want to do and if it affects you to the point where you can't keep your job you can't keep your job and they'll be left can't buy any more drugs theoretically sure i mean i do some of it can kill you and yeah i wouldn't want that it's i would tough. figure out i mean on that. the i i kind of like i would like to experiment more but a lot of drugs are just hard to use you know you have to find a shaman and go to jamaica and yeah. go on a, a <laughs> Tour. Sure, sure. But I also think that, like, you know, the like I tried DMT and that was interesting and I was curious, but then it's in a thing and you have to take like these huge puffs and it burns and I thought mm. it's really uncomfortable to try. And I think it's good, like, you shouldn't make drugs easy, easy to use. Like, when you put heroin in pill form, you get Ohio. You know, it's not good for people. <laughs> Sorry, Lizzie. There you go. All right. Andrew Rivers, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Um, and let me say this, by the way, just as a way to close out the show and tie it all in, uh, this discussion about, because uh, we, we touched on this briefly with Dr. Medina, um, the best drug in the world is love. Uh, that's kind of. Word. That's kind of close, Andrew, and I'm yeah. sorry I stole no, your... No, no. sorry I stole your sweaty palm joke, too. <laughs> so did the, I. The best drug in the world is the wonderment and fascination at being alive and interacting with the world and enjoying people, loving them, 
occasionally having them kick you in the balls, but love you back to us <laughs> once in a while. And, um, and just experiencing um, all the possibilities. So, uh, you know, we talked about that with John Medina. It's good to have, it's good to have my family here. God bless. I said something Amen. funny twice in 10 minutes. <laughs> yes. so I'm good. Happy <laughs> I can die a happy man. Um, all right. Cheers, Andrew. Cheers, everybody else. That's going to close us out. I, I, I will ask, um, I will send the song um, Pubic Hair to our webmaster. <laughs> Great. Did I? Did I didn't. With hair, long pubic hair, short and curly, swirly, twirly, curly. Swimming around the That's available on the Bob Rivers Crap Volume 2 album, which uh, is not available anywhere. Turn that thing off! You need to put that in the time capsule. That was on repeat. The second time today I've had to I've had to parody that song because we during our John Travolta bit where he mistook the the movie Air, which is about Air Jordan and Michael Jordan, and I had to sing the Hair theme. They sing the song from Air, the musical. Oh, and I'm trying to come up with it, you know, That's one of those songs like an impression of Richard Nixon. Basically, it's the same thing. <laughs> same time frame. Uh, yes. Next uh, next week. I'll bring the other one on. I got no thrill from Anita Hill since this whole story has regurgitated. Uh, I want to wish you all the best. Be well, everybody. Take care. The Bob and Zed Show. With